Hello and welcome to this interview hosted by me, Bo Dade. And today I'm speaking to a very special guest, uh, a member of the Deutsche Bundestag, uh, Mr. Peter Poringer. How are you? Thank you, uh, Bo. Thank you for having me. Yeah, no, no, it's our pleasure. And you're also uh, a vice chairman of the party. Um, and uh, as I understand it, you guys are doing increasingly well in the polls. I see that um, in some parts of Germany, you're up, you've pushed past 20% in the polls. In some places in, in more Eastern Germany, it's even higher up in the 30s. Now, what can I say? Uh, that is the case. It's true. And uh, just about 12 months ago, or exactly 12 months ago, we were half those numbers, uh, both in Eastern Germany and uh, on a federal level as well. Uh, to some extent, it comes as a as a surprise for me as well, uh, because we didn't do a lot of things differently uh, compared to what we did 10 years uh, uh, now, uh, since our founding in 2013. Um, but either uh, the other parties have really exaggerated their fool foolish policy, <laughs> um, or we have done something right, or maybe just our time has come now. Uh, it's hard to explain, but maybe we'll, we can get into that. It's, it's almost as though something happened to make the people in Germany sort of <clears throat> begin to wake up a bit and sort of change their minds. Because if we could talk just a little bit to begin with, in general, just about German politics, for I think maybe a few of our viewers might not know, uh, but there's obviously the Christian Democrats, there's sort of the Free Democrats and Social Democrats and the Greens and you guys. And um, of course, you guys are always demonized as far right or even fascist. I saw uh, an article in The Telegraph just the other day saying, Fascism could become normal in Eastern Germany because you've got a mayor. Um, of course, it's a it's a slur, really, because there's nothing there's nothing remotely fascist about you guys. Let alone it's it's not even really right wing, but that's always what's said. The the far right. Yeah, well, you are a UK broadcaster, and uh, I can understand that, especially abroad, uh, when you don't listen to alternative media in Germany, you must have that impression because basically all mainstream media in Germany all of them, with almost no exception, um, are against AFD. Most of us hate us, um, and they really have an intention to bring our uh, voting count down uh, by whatever means necessary. Uh, they have that intention. Most of them would even admit that. Uh, you will hardly find any mainstream journalists or any mainstream articles uh, with positive or just neutral um, views on our part. So basically, from their point of perspective, and it's, it's really a completely artificial picture they're painting, um, we are uh, completely 100% bad and evil and, well, fascists, yes, they, they say that too. Uh, that's a joke. I mean, uh, there is not even a clear definition of fascism. Fascism, the, the, the term was coined back in the uh, 1920s or 30s in Italy by Mussolini, and uh, it meant uh, a combination of the industry and politics uh, to the detriment of the people. It has nothing to do whatsoever with uh, nowadays politics, uh, especially not with AFD. And the same goes for uh, the, the horrible Nazi word. I mean, uh, these days we are termed Nazis, uh, which comes from nationalist socialists. And just imagine, uh, Socialists, nothing could be further from the truth. We, we hate socialism. We fight against socialism on almost every level. Uh, personally, my personal CV uh, shows that I've been doing that for 30 years now in, in many different roles. Uh, so there's nothing good about socialism. Um, 
and uh, nationalism. No, we're not nationalists. Uh, we are patriots, and patriots love their country. Uh, and the difference uh, compared to nationalism is that you love your own country, and nationalists hate other countries. So that's a huge difference here. Uh, we are patriots, not nationalists. So everything is wrong. It's a completely artificial picture, but I can understand. And uh, tomorrow I will have a, an interview with the BBC. I'm sure they will come with exactly the same prejudiced um, voices uh, or, or um, headlines because uh, they read uh, the German mainstream media. And you can't get possibly an objective picture about uh, uh, AFD uh, if you only follow German mainstream. Yeah, no, I'm sure the BBC will be extremely biased against you. Um, I'd put good money on that. Yeah, you mentioned the the N word there. The the, the N word. No, must people must not say Nazi. I mean, of course. Um, but yeah, of course, you're slurred. You 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 know, you always. It's just whenever <clears throat> I mean, whenever AFD is mentioned, it's just the far right AFD. Um, it's just fact, Yeah, you mentioned sort of the the roots of fascism there with Mussolini. I think you know, like the word. The root of it maybe comes from like fasces, the men in the Roman word of many sticks together. You know, like together yes. we are strong. You know, a, a bundle of sticks. Um, and so, yeah, the very well, idea of being a patriot, or the very idea of populism, the way the BBC and lots of mainstream media here, and I'm sure it's the same in your country, but the very concept of populism itself is somehow wrong, wrong-headed. I mean, uh, that patriotism itself is evil. It's crazy. Yeah, unfortunately, that's the way it is and has been for many decades, uh, especially in Germany. Uh, well, it was understandable to some extent after 1945. Uh, nobody wanted to and uh, could dare to be in any way patriotic in Germany. We were not very proud uh, after 1945 uh, about what happened before 1945, uh, especially in those uh, infamous 12 years. Um, so that's understandable. But it, it's been 70 years now. So, um, hmm. and well, we have learned our lesson. Uh, AFD has learned that lesson too, as every German has in, in the meantime, with almost no exception. Uh, when we were founded, we were founded and still are um, a conservative, liberal, but also patriotic party. There is no contradiction in that. Uh, by liberal, maybe I have to explain that. I don't mean the liberal in the American sense of the word, because mm -hmm. there it really is a synonym for uh, for left politics, uh, for, really for uh, it's really left is liberal in the US, but uh, the classical liberal stance, uh, which I uh, stand for, uh, comes from the 19th century, <laughs> long before it was used in the, in the US. Uh, and it is just, uh, well, the liberal libertas in, in Latin is freedom. Uh, we are freedom lovers. Uh, and yes, uh, there must be some rules in a society and you can uh, over-exaggerate um, liberalistic um, Approaches in politics, you can, uh, in some areas, maybe leave a little bit too much freedom. For example, when it comes to drug uh, uh, trading, um, but uh, this is not uh, our problem. Uh, AFD is a conservative party. We, in, in many respects, we want to go back to policies that the Christian Democrats, uh, the Liberal Democrats, and even the Social Democrats had been following up until the 1980s, 90s, and even 2000s. Uh, this is more as our program, which had been their program. So if we are ex extremists these, these days, uh, all those parties in Germany, and uh, they had probably a two-third majority in the Deutsche Bundestag at the time, uh, were extremists at the time. Uh, that's just ridiculous. Ridiculous. 
But yes, we also dare to speak out the word uh, patriots. Uh, we also are patriots. Uh, we love our own country. And I think it's a sane approach. Uh, almost every uh, nation in the world uh, even promote or foster that attitude uh, with their people. So uh, I don't think that's something to be ashamed of. No, absolutely not. No, absolutely not. Not, not in any way, shape or form. Um, you mentioned this sort of the idea of liberalism or classical liberalism, sort of not being authoritarian. And that sort of leads me into my next question, that the, uh, the Overton window perhaps is not the best way to describe it, but just the, the whole idea that authori authoritarianism is on the rise from the left. Because I saw recently that uh, there's been some noises in Germany of perhaps trying to actually ban AFD outright, just ban it. Um, I wonder if you could talk to me a little bit about that, whether that is really sort of on the cards. Is that really likely to happen? Let me not start with the ban itself. Uh, let's go back one step and uh, to begin with, yes, it's also my feeling, just as you put it, uh, that it is the left these days uh, who are the authoritarians, especially exactly what maybe in the past or in history, uh, the right-wing parties were, uh, were or were considered to be. Um, but today it's clearly left, especially the Greens, uh, they want to forbid everything. <laughs> they want to uh, forbid us uh, how to heat our homes, uh, how to drive, uh, what to drive, um, and so on. You know what I'm talking about. The, the woke and uh, movement is all about uh, forbidding things. Uh, so it's clearly authoritarian. It's almost as authoritarian authoritarian as a right-wing government could be, uh, way more authoritarian than we could ever be and would ever be, maybe in a little bit er other areas, different areas. So again, this is a joke. It's an Orwellian um, twist uh, to, to say that we are authoritarian. It all comes from very authoritarian uh, people. Um, but we have to deal with that. Uh, it's a parallel world. It's an artificial, hmm. lying world that is uh, all over the place in the German media about us. And in general, I'm sure it's the same in, in, in the UK too. Uh, I'm following that too a little bit. Uh, especially in the US, it's, it has become very authoritarian. Look at the universities there. Uh, it's, it's incredible. Uh, those were the cradles of freedom uh, in the past. Uh, no longer so. <laughs> um, well, yeah, and those people uh, who are authoritarian, uh, they uh, have um, they have sent the so-called Verfassungsschutz. I call them the government protecting agency. Uh, the official uh, translation would be um, the constitution protection agency, um, but uh, I call them the government um, protection agency. Uh, they have some authority because officially they have the task uh, by law to look at extreme parties and extreme movements uh, and to uh, observe them. They've been doing that with us for several years now. Didn't really find a lot. Uh, all they found were word crimes, something like we use the long language, uh, as all the other parties do. And um, uh, sometimes we have uh, a few people using the unwise words, but we don't have the power to uh, do anything. We are not extreme in any way. These are um, not uh, word crimes from the leading group uh, of the AFD, but usually uh, second, third, fourth ranks. Um, uh, nothing serious about that. We have some 30,000 uh, members alone, uh, sometimes even 
um, sentences or quotes from non-members are attributed to us or against us um, uh, by the government protecting agency. It's an agency um, reporting to the Interior Ministry, uh, Ministry of the Internal Affairs, uh, led by a leftist, a radical leftist um, uh, Secretary of State, Mrs. Faeser, and uh, she, she really is extremist left. And she, uh, since she got power, she has immediately exchanged uh, the head of the Verfassungsschutz um, of the government protecting agency, um, a, a more or less well serious or normal guy uh, was ex exchanged by uh, an, a left extremist again. Uh, he is on record saying that he seizes at his task as his task to um, bring down AFD's election results. Imagine that. So he's not neutral in any way, but he has the power to observe us um, by secret service means. Um, and he has he brings out a report at least once a year uh, and on the regional level 10 times a year. And they keep saying uh, they, these are extremists, the AFD, without real evidence. We are fighting uh, that in court, but it's a difficult uh, and expensive process uh, trying to bring that away. It's, it's all obstacles in our way. And now... Uh, they have come to the point, especially since our election results have doubled in the last 12 months, um, that obviously they see no other exit but to uh, start a process of banning AFD. It, it really is true. Uh, since that happened, I get a lot of uh, interview requests, especially from abroad. That's interesting because the German media wouldn't see it as an, uh, as an important development. But uh, abroad, and especially in the UK, the cradle of modern democracy, uh, you see it obviously as something serious, and it is something serious, it's very serious. I mean, you cannot uh, defend democracy as Mr. Haldenwang, um, um, head of the Verfassungsschutz claims, by, by abolishing democracy, and that's what mm. you're basically doing. Uh, so I'm not sure if they will ever go to that point uh, banning us, but it costs a lot of money. Uh, it is course, completely against our reputation. It is hard to get rooms for gatherings uh, if you are a coined ex extremist and if you are under threat of being banned and so on and so on. Uh, it really inhibits our work uh, and it is undemocratic, absolutely. So uh, yes, I, personally, I'm in charge as the uh, vice chairman of AFD uh, for leading that um, uh, those um, court fights against the Verfassungsschutz. Uh, but it's uh, it's incredible. They have uh, brought, uh, brought together 10,000 pages against us. Something. Uh, a lot of it is complete rubbish. It's irrelevant material. It, it doesn't prove anything. Uh, and if it does prove anything, it's uh, third or fourth rank officials. We have, uh, of those 10,000 pages, I would say only 10 of 20 are really relevant. And we have to deal with, with those cases. And we, we, we would have been done that. We would have done that internally anyway. So uh, we're doing everything we can, but yes, it's true. They try to ban us. Well, good luck with the court battles. Absolutely. I mean, it really is sort of a really quite a, a disgusting, perverse thing to see you persecuted like that. Just a bit like Donald Trump in America. Just, uh, yeah, uh, the inverse of the truth that they're trying to, to protect democracy whilst absolutely undermining democracy. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's a terrible thing.
to some extent, we're copying currently Mr. Trump's uh, counter strategy uh, because I heard uh, he has made his police um, photo um, public himself and it has brought in some 7 million of um, grants <laughs> to him or his, uh, his party. Um, uh, so we also not only defend ourselves in the court courtroom and we are already at the highest court, I must say, um, but uh, of course we fight that politically as well. Uh, we are talking about uh, things like um, AFD saying we love our Heimat. Heimat uh, is uh, the term for home country. Uh, nothing wrong about that. But this in itself is already being deemed as extremist and right-wing extremists uh, by, by the Verfassungsschutz. Even though, of course, it's perfectly legal. These guys have never bring in an indictment against us. That may be the difference uh, to Donald Trump. There is no indictment uh, against us. Nobody has pressed charges here, uh, but the Verfassungsschutz is uh, wants to to kill our reputation uh, with mm. voters. It's not currently. It's not working, but you never know. Uh, it's a it's a hard fight anyway. Well, in the case of Donald Trump, it seems to be counterproductive. If anything, people see through it. See it as um, you know an unjust persecution, and his support grows. If it, if anything, from it. So hopefully that will be the case with you as well. I mean, if I could sort of maybe cut to the quick, where you mentioned sort of the idea of a, a homeland or a home country, a mother country, a father country, something like that, that, that they see that very concept that people would dare to vocalize a love for their own country, their own nation, that that is extreme, that that is something that needs to be sort of stamped out and squashed. I mean, in Germany, I think you guys, unfortunately, are up against uh, a, a lot more. I mean, like I say, if I could just cut to it, there's, there's the, the ghost of, of Hitler, isn't there? There's, there's sort of the, the, endless, the endless harking back to the history of the mid-20th century, um, that the very concept that you could be a, a German patriot is, is seen to be wrong-headed. Uh, of course it isn't, you know, just because the National Socialists existed, it means you can never be proud to be German ever again. Uh, so my question is this, do you think that, that anti-fascism, because we have Antifa, don't we, in, in, all across the world actually, in our countries and America, there's Antifa, anti-fascism. Seems to me that that concept has also been co-opted just to mean a, a destruction of the West. Anti-fascism is just a destruction of any concept of patriotism. Do you think I'm going too far saying things like that? No, you're not, especially not because it's a global um, movement uh, and it's called Antifa all over the world, even though it has nothing to do with fighting the real fascists of the 1930s. And uh, yes, being a German, of course, we have learned our lesson in history. I was born in 1969, so long after the war. but. Um, uh, Still, everybody in my generation, also in the current uh, generation, uh, works up very, uh, grows up very consciously about those infamous 12 years, uh, 1933 to 45. So maybe Germany shouldn't be the most patriotic country in the world. And AFD is very aware of that. And we are not. But uh, the way we love our country is completely normal, even probably less pronounced than in most other countries. Um, 
and it has been completely normal even in the in Germany in the say 1970s through the 2000s. Uh, it is only in the last 20 years um, that things completely change. Society moved to a complete completely to uh, to the left, uh, by, uh, the far left, and if you only stand still or stood still, as personally I did and probably most AFD people uh, did, uh, you became right-wing or even extremely right without changing your opinion in any way, which was not extreme, say, 20, 30 years ago. Um, and th this is, I think, what happens all over the world. The same has happened uh, in America as well, uh, especially when you look at the universities there. Um, um, yes, uh, the Antifa, uh, anti-fascists, uh, has nothing to do with uh, fighting right-wing fascists uh, that are really dangerous. They are dangerous. They are um, brutal. They exert uh, violence all the time all over the world, especially in Germany. Uh, AFD knows what I'm talking about because almost every course uh, violently being disturbed by the Antifa uh, and isolators in, in foreign countries too. So yes, this is a worldwide movement. Well, we could probably spend a whole evening discussing how this came about. Out. Uh, but yes, yeah, especially in Germany, it's a brutal reality. Mm, mm. Perhaps it's a good time to sort of talk about the war uh, with with Russia. Um, now, of course, <laughs> famously, uh, Moscow and Berlin haven't always seen eye to eye. Um, but in the post-war years with NATO, of course, it's a whole whole different thing. Um, and then once the, the, the fall of the Berlin Wall and unification of Germany, sort of a whole new game again. Now, I'd really want to know your feelings or AFD's feelings about Putin, about sort of Moscow's, Moscow's expansion. Whether you, do you believe the narrative that they want to ultimately invade Poland and invade the Balkan states and... Uh, just endlessly take land. Um, what is okay, what are your feelings on all of this? Um, let me start with, as I already said, um, I'm a communist eater. I have grown up as a hater of the Soviets and the communists. In my um, uh, my parents were completely against the communists. I grew up in Western Germany, um, and uh, we didn't want socialism, and uh, obviously we didn't really know about much about the Soviet Union because nobody knew a lot about the Soviet Union before 1989. It was uh, really terra incognita. We knew more about uh, Australia than about Eastern Europe. Um, uh, we didn't like the, the political system, the economic, economic system, but uh, it didn't bother a lot because we had the, the war. Um, but yes, I grew up um, and I think most of my colleagues in, in AFD party in Western Germany uh, grew up uh, with that, with those feelings of the Cold War, uh, so nobody really liked the Russians, and especially not the Soviets. And yes, uh, we were educated and taught, maybe under American influence, uh, that uh, the Soviets want to uh, invade the whole world. They want to spread communism all over the world. And obviously, there was uh, the Korean War. There was the Soviet, uh, the, the Vietnam War uh, um, in the 1970s, still. Uh, China, the communist China and communist Russia uh, tried to spread their ideology all over the world. Uh, that's the spirit um, uh, many of us in Western Germany had up until uh, 1989. Uh, 
but then obviously things changed. The Soviet Union fell apart in 91. Uh, we had that Yeltsin area, those 10 years. Um, Yeltsin was just a puppet uh, of, of the West, especially of the Americans. He was drunk all the time anyway. <laughs> he, gave, he, gave, he gave away all the wealth of the, of the former Soviet Union, uh, basically to oligarchs uh, and to the West. But those oligarchs mostly were, many of them, let's put it like that, uh, were steered by the West. So they were good oligarchs from a Western point of view. And then we had Putin uh, coming to power, uh, I think in 1999 or 8. Um, and... Uh, well, he came from the Secret Service, from the KGB in, uh, in the Soviet Union. Uh, and we didn't really know what to expect, but he held interesting speeches. I've been following that uh, already at the time, 25 years ago. Uh, he gave a very interesting speech addressed uh, towards Germany, towards the uh, European Union in 2000, again in 2002, I think even in the Bundestag, another time in 2007 in the Bundestag. Uh, we have been following that. Um, it may be true that he wants to restore some of the former Russian um, glory. Some say the Tsarist glory, some say the Soviet glory. Uh, it may be true. But I think he's realist enough uh, to know that, A, uh, he can never bring back again uh, the old uh, Tsarist Reich. And secondly, uh, socialism doesn't really work. He has been working as a secret agent in former Eastern Germany. He speaks fluent German. He knows how bad the uh, situation was in the former GDR before 1989. He knows the reason why that country broke together for economic reasons. So I don't think he is a socialist and not even a communist. He may be a nationalist, a Russian nationalist. Yes, to some extent he is. Uh, I believe that. Uh, we need not be complete friends with him. But up until 2022, uh, we tried as AFD to have normal relationships uh, in the Bismarckian sense. Uh, Bismarck tried to um, have um, good relations with uh, his neighbors and the power, great powers of the world at the time in the 19th century. And uh, we have to try that too. Germany is no big power it itself, so it has to have good relations and uh, good relations with a very um, uh, rich uh, country in terms of uh, raw materials uh, like Russia is important. Uh, we have been receiving a lot of Russian gas uh, until 2022 from Russia, very cheap. Uh, quite a bit of German prosperity uh, can be attributed to that cheap gas from the, from Russia. Uh, so it is really a tragedy <laughs> that the, um, the pipeline was blown up by somebody, whoever that was. And um, um, well, we to this very day, we, we say, okay, one day this infamous war will be over and we have to have uh, relationships again with them. I personally no longer, as I did in the 1980s, um, think that the Russians, uh, if we don't stop them in Ukraine, they will stand at the Rhine at the western border of Germany uh, next week and the week after, after that in Portugal. That's uh, more or less what the Cold War uh, warriors <laughs> are still thinking. Uh, it is not what I think any longer. Uh, yes, we have to um, be critical with Russia. And yes, their invasion of uh, the Ukraine February 24th last year uh, was officially against all uh, international law. Uh, it was an well, offensive war. 
Having said that, of course, that war hasn't started in 2022. It has uh, started in, 19, in 2014 uh, when the, uh, at the time, well, uh, Moscow-friendly or neutral re uh, ruler had been replaced with quite some Western influence uh, by a Western puppet. And uh, th this happened in 20, uh, 2014. Even that uh, could have been accepted. But, uh, well, the Ukraine, as many countries have uh, ethical differences, they have uh, Russian ethicals in the very east and in the Crimea. Uh, and those people, uh, they didn't really want to be ruled by Kiev. Uh, because mm. they want to speak their own language and Kiev didn't grant them minority rights uh, for many years. Um, uh, they had to speak uh, Ukrainian as opposed to their, their native Russian. Uh, they were, the, the pensions were not paid from Kiev and at the end they were even um, uh, bombshelled from Ukrainian territory. Um, so this is uh, not very nice to deal with one's own, uh, own people. So I was not surprised that the um, referendum in Crimea uh, ended, uh, I think, with a 94% uh, consent uh, we want to belong to Russia. And, uh, well, it's difficult to hold a fair referendum in the far east of uh, Ukraine, in the Donbass. But if you held it, and if you had held it uh, 15 or 20 months ago before the war, uh, uh, you still would have had a, a large majority for, uh, for Russia. And uh, at a certain point in time, when people or armies bomb each other, uh, you have to come to the conclusion, well, it's better to divide the country up. Uh, it had been divided anyway before February 2020. There, uh, there was uh, an uncalled war already, uh, civil war. Uh, there was a demarcation line be between the Ukraine forces and the Russian forces. It's more or less the current front, with a few exceptions at the Black Sea. And, um, uh, well, I think the only way to lasting freedom there is to divide the ethnicities and the language, uh, the different language-speaking areas uh, up. And ultimately, maybe even this year or next year, uh, this will probably be the solution, even though it's a, a difficult solution. Um, we are seeing the same in the Balkans, uh, when the same happened in 1999 after the Yugoslavia wars. Uh, it's a stable situation, not completely stable, especially not stable, where they uh, did not manage to divide the ethnic, ethnic groups uh, apart from each other. This is not all official AFD party line, what I just said, but this is my personal opinion. Um, problem is that the official international law forbids um, changing uh, borders. Um, but, well, we have been doing that in the past. It has been done at the Kosovo uh, and the Serb after the war, uh, NATO against Serbia in 1999. Uh, it had been done before, uh, and sometimes it is inevitable uh, to... <laughs> in order to bring a war to an end. Uh, mm. I think this is uh, more or less a majority view also within my party, uh, but that was my personal opinion. You're not for an endless war in the Donbass then? I mean, it's almost, Peter, you're saying, you're suggesting then that history didn't begin in 2014, that the story might be a bit deeper, there might be a bit more to it, <laughs> that history goes back for, in fact, hundreds and hundreds of years, the, the, Ki the Kievan Rus and uh, the, the long, long relationship between, between Russia okay, and that, Kiev. Now that, you're, now that you're leading me there, yes, it's true historically that I think in the 18th or 17th century already, uh, the Kiev Rus was the cradle of the Russian nation uh, and obviously that was Ukraine. Uh, 
the region of Ukraine um, only got into existence, I think, uh, 100 or 150 years ago, and it didn't uh, play a big role because within the vast uh, area of the USSR, the former USSR, nobody cared. Everybody spoke Russian, even in Kiev. Uh, they didn't really speak Ukrainian there. Um, uh, they, everybody had to speak Russian. Mm -hmm. uh, and it was only Nikolai Khrushchev in 1954 who uh, gave away, for example, the Krim um, to the Ukraine uh, because he happened to be Ukrainian. <laughs> Nikolai Khrushchev, even though he was uh, the um, well, Secretary of State and President in Moscow, <laughs> um, but he happened to be Ukrainian and for some reason, some say he was drunk uh, when he gave away the Krim uh, for no obvious reason to to Ukraine. So this only was a 70-year period that the Ukrainians belonged to uh, a region called Ukraine, which didn't play a role in any way before 1991, uh, up until the Soviet Union collapsed. It only then uh, really came into existence. Um, and only then, well, the old ethic differences between Ukrainians and Russians um, played out. And uh, it's the same all over the world. People, it's easier for people to get along with each other in one nation state if they speak the same language. I mean, here we do not even have religious differences. All of them are Christian Orthodox, Orthodox Christians, and uh, still they, um, well, they <laughs> want to be uh, in their in their own native language area. And for the for, for the very east of Ukraine, this happens to be Russia. Uh, nobody can help it. Mm. It's almost as though homogeneity is a strength rather than diversity being a strength. But I wanted to move on. Unfortunately, the time is uh, of the essence and there's many more things I'd love to ask you about. One thing I would like to just quickly uh, touch upon is you mentioned there okay. about energy and the gas you Germany would get from Russia. And you mentioned the pipeline that was blown up there. And I don't want to put you under too much pressure, but it did strike me as extremely odd, at least in the UK press, that when that happened, everyone... It, 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 especially German politicians just seem to shrug and throw their hands up and look the other way and not point any fingers and just be very quiet about it and just move on. That seemed very odd to me. I wonder what your thoughts were on that. Uh, it, it is indeed very odd. Uh, the silence was basically a scandal. Mr. Scholz, our chancellor, didn't say a word. Uh, he didn't even Scandalous. investigate, really. He didn't even uh, investigate, really. Uh, the damage done to our economy is incredible. Uh, the uh, If you calculate the price of gas or uh, power that is made out of that gas um, before the pipeline was struck and after that, uh, and if you multiply that with the amount of gas uh, we, we need in Germany, it comes down to a damage of, uh, I calculated, more than 100 billion euros a year. That is the uh, real damage in energy costs alone. Uh, and just imagine what that means for our industry. We are in a phase of deindustrialization now. Um, it's very clear and a lot of it has to do uh, with the energy prices uh, that are several factors higher than, for example, in the US. Mm. And currently, I don't know about the UK. Uh, I think you still have some own gas resources and some coal resources, and you haven't gone away from uh, nuclear power yet. So uh, you have alternatives. But uh, the leftist and green German government, they have already 
um, switched off all nuclear power energy. They're about to switch off all coal, even though currently this is not happening because otherwise we would have a permanent blackout. Mm. Um, and, the, and the gas is um, also shrinking or we need liquid natural gas now from uh, at a much higher cost than the Russian pipeline gas. Uh, so we have no real replacement and the, obviously the solar and, uh, nu and uh, wind power um, are no real replacement because uh, they are not always available. It's almost so it is, uh, as yes, if... Uh, yes, it is a scandal that Mr. That the Chancellor didn't say anything. It is almost as though the globalists and the socialists and the Greens want people to live in cold and darkness. It's almost as if that's their aim. Um, but you did touch there upon the economy and um, I want to ask you about that because you are first and foremost, are you not, a, a, an economist. Um, you know, I, I understand you... You've written a lot about the sort of the German gold reserves, and that is your speciality in your professional life is to work on the the budget and all that sort of thing. So I just wanted to ask you, um, it, you know, how the German what what your views are in the broadest sense on the German economy. How's it going? And and if you could link that into your views or AFD's views on being a member of the EU itself. Mm -hmm. Oh man, um, <laughs> a big question. I know a big question. Where, where to where to start? Um, it's obviously we see things going in very wrong directions. It has to do with uh, the much higher energy costs. Um, this was not only the fault of the war, and not only uh, brought about by the um, attack on on the pipeline, but it already started earlier. We for for no real reason. Mrs. Merkel, our chancellor at the time in 2011, um, basically overnight decided to go off nuclear power after the Fukushima accident. And it, in, in hindsight, it was not necessary. Um, even the Japans have restarted their nuclear program again. Um, then uh, there is the, well, how should I call it, uh, the credo, uh, the belief, the fundamental belief, the religion, uh, the CO2 religion, the net zero religion. Uh, which our um, government and the so-called conservative government under the Christian Democrats, uh, under Chancellor Merkel since 25, have been following. They have been following that uh, credo, that religion. I really call it a religion because uh, we could talk about ours now. Um, uh, the, the, the thesis that man-made CO2 is basically the sole reason why the world will go under in 80 years um, uh, because of 1.5 degrees more um, is completely unproven. It is probably based on false premises, of, uh, unproven modeling, and so on, and even uh, data corruption. Uh, everything is false. Uh, it is just plainly wrong, but with the exception of my party, everybody in the Bundestag is following that credo, that CO2 religion. Um, so there is a huge majority against us, um, 80%, I must say. And um, we have to get rid of that. Otherwise, we can't heal. Uh, every second law in the Bundestag that is being passed has something to do uh, with CO2. Uh, and it's really deindustrializing uh, our economy. So I, I see really um, Germany's economy deteriorating for that very reason alone. Uh, then I could go on with uh, too high taxes um, and obviously too high uh, regulations, especially brought about from Brussels, uh, too high payments uh, to Brussels. I know that the UK has no easy time after the Brexit, but still I believe the Brexit was the right thing to do. And uh, 
you sometimes have to think about what would have happened had you remained in the EU, uh, European Union. You would have all that regulations we are suffering under. You would have um, now nowadays the EU is uh, taking on debt, common debt against the um, contracts of the euro. The euro was founded on in 1992. Um, there's a Ukrainian debt package, uh, about 750 billion euros. Um, and Britain would probably have to had uh, swallowed um, something like uh, a seventh of that. <laughs> Incredible amounts. Uh, you don't have that. So I know it's difficult. It's not so easy because Brussels is playing it unfair. Uh, they uh, don't negotiate your Brexit process uh, so well and so nicely. Um, but still, it was the right thing to do. And yes, uh, my party also um, is uh, willing to leave the European Union. Uh, we're not saying we want to do that overnight, uh, but we ultimately, if negotiations fail, um, then we would um, we would do that. Uh, if negotiations fail, mean we have quite we would have quite a good uh, negotiation position because if Germany left the EU, the EU would be passed uh, or gone within one mm. week. Mm. So, mm. so uh, everybody knows that. Uh, actually, I was surprised that after the Brexit, the EU was not yet uh, gone. But uh, obviously, we were. It was just possible for the for the EU to survive without the, the UK. Uh, but uh, well. They couldn't survive without uh, Germany leaving as well. That's very clear. So we would have a good uh, negotiation position. The current uh, government is not playing that card in any way. Uh, they are giving in uh, everywhere. And this has nothing to do with the uh, leader of the EU, co EU Commission is currently a German lady, Ursula von der Leyen. Uh, she is not, not really a German in that role. <laughs> uh, she's, she's really working against Germany. Um, mm. Just mm. take the just take the Corona. Uh, measures uh, and she has uh, and the infamous uh, SMS deal she did with Pfizer, uh, a 35 billion euro deal she negotiated by SMS with the Pfizer CEO. Just imagine that. Uh, that is what is being done in Brussels, and it's uh, it's unreformable, I believe. Uh, but even AFD, even an AFD government would try to reform them, but I'm not sure if we would succeed. I mean, I do think if Germany left, it would be some sort of death blow to Brussels. I mean, it would be absolutely, from my from my point of view, it'd be absolutely amazing to see. Um, it'd be some sort of actual justice being meted out. But you mentioned there about um, no, let, the CO2 let, let religion. Just, just, oh, sorry, go on. Just one sentence before mm. you come to the mm. CO2 religion again. Um, you're right. Yes, it would be the end of the EU. I think that too. I, I, I don't hide that uh, fact uh, in election speeches or... Or something like that but uh, we have to remind people there was a time before eu eu, EU was only founded in 1992 nobody uh, from afd people would have gone on the streets and protest against the european economic union eec before 1992 or the european community uh, eg ec uh, which it was only after 1992 when we really started the current EU. It was after 2007 when we got the Lisbon treaties. It was after 2000 when we had the euro. Um, that's when things went wrong. And obviously, we had the permanent euros uh, rescue as of 
2010, uh, which is basically still ongoing to this very day with incredible amounts. That was the reason why AFD was founded in 2013, because we were a protest party against the uh, first um, rescue umbrella for the euro in 2013 called at the time uh, ESM, European Security Yes, um, it was a 600 billion package, and that was uh, the reason why we founded ourselves, and it's still our uh, position. We don't, we don't want to rescue the euro every day because uh, it, is, it can be really fatal one day, even for the nation states within the EU. Mm. You know, absolutely. I mean, just as a as a, a, a leave voter myself, um, I just don't want uh, supranational bodies sitting over Westminster or Berlin. Absolutely. I don't want to see yes. uh, a court in Strasbourg telling Englishmen or Germans what they can or can't do. I don't want any of that. I don't want to see any of the, the, these, these organisations. And well, that's what I was going to get on to, is that with this, you mentioned a CO2 religion. It's like a faith. Yeah, I feel that CO2 isn't, um, it's not pollution. It doesn't drive climate change. It's a few 400-odd parts per million, um, you know, of, of the atmosphere. Um, it's it's plant food, carbon dioxide. So no, I don't buy any of that narrative. But then, so it begs the question: Then why in our countries and America and mostly of the West, all these same people don't seem to say a peep about fossil fuels being burnt in India or China? So what are they playing at? What is their uh, is their end goal really? Just to destroy our economies and to, to destroy our nations as as they exist? Uh, am I being too cynical? Yeah. No, you're not too cynical. Um, it's right. We could discuss CO2 religion fundamentally because it's really fundamentally wrong and we are being lied to on almost all levels. We could also discuss the religion quantitatively and it's correct that the Western and European countries, uh, the UK, also Germany, uh, have really only ne neglect neglectable amounts of uh, CO2 emission uh, compared to the likes of China, Australia, the US, Russia, India, uh, Indonesia and a few others. Um, they make up together more than 80, 70 or 80 percent. And uh, even if you believed the uh, models of the IPCC, the World Climate Council, um, then uh, the quantitative effect, even if we <laughs> abolished ourselves and our industries in, in Europe, uh, would be minuscule. Hmm. almost unmeasurable <clears throat> so yes of course your question is justified uh, why um, and personally I believe it's a big business it's a very big business um, and has been uh, prepared for many decades uh, the idea that CO2 is N or the A or the <coughs> um, most important factor in some sort of uh, temperature rise uh, was invented in 1995 around at a Tokyo climate conference. Uh, it was intensified in Copenhagen in 2009. Uh, a lot of lobbying was brought in. Uh, many professors were bribed. I really, I have to put it like that uh, to to um, support the climate narrative. Um, a lot of money and effort has been put into that for a long time. It's a big business. Many people. Um, make a lot of money and we're currently negotiating the German budget for 2024 and uh, I would say about one-third of the German budget, uh, roughly 250 billion, can be attributed to um, to that CO2 religion. The, the, those expenses wouldn't exist 
uh, would we not believe or would our government not uh, believe in that CO2 religion? Of course, AFD would abolish all those expenses, uh, I believe, with no harm whatsoever to the world mm. or to the temperature, world temperature. The, uh, but, so that would be a quick win. <laughs> we could easily um, free a lot of money here. Unfortunately, uh, our industry has been damaged for, for good, uh, irreparably, in many uh, industries. Uh, that's bad. Uh, there are so many aspects here, so many that there are winners here, a lot of winners. Um, and of course, and also this narrative, the CO2 religion also helps to bring about global government, uh, mm -hmm. similar to the mm -hmm. Corona um, virus, which also triggered a lot of um, emergency law. Uh, also in Germany, uh, we have given away in emergency pandemic situations in the future, um, quite a few of our fundamental rights to the WHO, the World Health Organization, uh, which would have been unthinkable had the corona crisis, which also was artificially um, blown up, um, had not happened. And the same seems to be happening with currently with the, um, the CO2 religion. I could give mm. quite a few examples, but uh, we need too much time for that now. Yeah, well, I mean, uh, if I could ask, if, if we could touch upon one last big topic, um, if that's okay, I'd like to ask you about immigration, mass immigration, and uh, sort of, it's not, it didn't just start with Angela Merkel in 2015, of course, but I wonder if you could talk a little bit about your thoughts and feelings and the party's policies on how or if immigration, mass immigration has changed the very fabric of German society. Uh, because in Britain, we've had mass immigration. It's certainly done that. It's changed the nature of our towns and cities, of our demographic. And I, I just want to get a German perspective on all that sort of thing, if you would. The short answer is yes, it has changed a lot. Uh, it has uh, divided Germany quite to some extent, even though many people don't dare to speak out against uh, mass immigration, illegal mass immigration, that is, because um, uh, they fear of, uh, they fear that uh, about their jobs even, uh, and uh, their reputation. It's just not allowed to really discuss that. Uh, AFD is the first exception. They're the only party who dares to speak out opposition. We were not founded uh, on this topic, I must say. In 2013, we had quite a few Im immigration, and there were people opposed to too much immigration, but it was not so much a uh, bigger topic. Uh, it was only after Mrs. Merkel really gave up German borders and European borders uh, in September of 2015, uh, and it has not been repaired yet. Uh, she really gave it up illegally. It, it was illegal and is still uh, an illegal state of affairs uh, in Germany and in Europe. Um, the legal immigration into Germany, according to Article 16a of our constitution, uh, uh, is only uh, valid for um, political refugees that can really prove they have been or they are politically um, persecuted abroad. And uh, yes, we have to allow them in. Um, normally, but that's only less than, I guess, 1% of those people coming into Germany, less than 1%. That, that wouldn't be a political issue. And mm -hmm. even though UK, the UK currently uh, seems to have uh, problems with the boats coming from France, uh, I have to tell you, it is nothing compared to what Germany is currently seeing. We are seeing an influx of 500 to 800 or even uh, a thousand, um, uh, even a million people uh, per year 
Imagine that. Uh, and almost nobody had of those would have, in my legal opinion, a right to be here. Not uh, according to the Geneva Convention and uh, not according to our own constitution. There just is no fundamental right for that. Otherwise, they could have come 20 years ago, but had they come and some came, they were thrown out immediately because there were no political um, uh, victims and they couldn't prove. But if you don't send people back, and that's uh, if you let them in, and if you don't send them back immediately or, or pretty quickly after an examination of whether they are valid uh, immigrants or not, um, then, uh, of course, the word spreads all over the world, and it did within minutes or days or weeks, and now everybody is coming. I mean, I've, I've heard the Trump interview, I think, uh, Tucker the other day, and he also complained about the South American refugees, and he would put uh, that wall in Mexico or in uh, Texas uh, and, uh, <laughs> um, up and, and stop those people from coming because they're all illegal. And he also mentioned, Mr. Trump, uh, that uh, the U U.S. are seeing people not only from South America, but they come in from everywhere. If you let people in and there is no border, um, then they come. You cannot even blame them. Of course they want to come because uh, they are in, uh, well, they come from either war zones or just are in uh, economically uh, difficult countries and they are in, they have nothing to lose, so they come to rich countries. Mm. It has always been that way, but in nation states, you cannot just let that happen. And Mrs. Merkel did it let did let it happen mm. for no reason. It has not been healed. There has never been a legal uh, ground for for allowing those people in. Uh, I would say ninety five percent of them, um, with the exception of the other five percent, where one would have to look into. But uh, AFD would never have uh, made a topic from that. Uh, we were only talking about those 5% who also had been a topic before not 2013. So it's really the quantitative escalation and also the qualitative escalation in that law was officially disobeyed by our very government. And that is true since 2015. And we already have the second government. This is the second government not obeying our laws. This is a permanent scandal. And yes, uh, we say it, and people also vote us for this. It's not the only reason, but it's one of the reasons. You mentioned that you say, because oh, it's a similar in our country where our government apparently are unable to stop these boats, apparently unable to enforce a policy on even legal immigration, to have any sort of cap, any mention of a cap on it is, is beyond the pale, apparently. And on the southern border in America, these sort of globalists. You mentioned there that Mrs. Merkel did it for no reason. I wonder if it was really for absolutely no reason or whether she had a nefarious reason, whether these people actively want to see the end of uh, Western nations as we know it. Traitors. Right. I, know that I, know that, I know that theory. Um, personally, I see some possibility that it is true. The problem is I cannot prove it. Uh, we are now in territory where I cannot prove it. But yes, Proofs in um, the pudding, isn't yeah, it? Proofs in the destruction yeah, of our is. countries in front of our very eyes, is it not? There, the theories are out there. I know that uh, there are a lot of uh, indications that you are right, uh, that it is done intentionally. But even there, when I say that, what, should I just confirm what you just said? Um, 
deutsche Regierungsschutz, the Government Protection Agency, okay, I, would uh, hold, hold that again against me. And I say don't want to do that to you, so fair enough. Uh, so okay. all, I, all I can do is say, yes, you're probably right. Um, the, question, the only question is whether it's done intentionally and if, if it's done intentionally, by whom is it done intentionally for what reason? But yes, there are people, and I think I can say that openly, um, who say that uh, it is easier to govern the world uh, as opposed to nation states. And uh, well, there are economic reasons for having a world government. Uh, yes, I know all those theories, but we are in territory where it's difficult to prove. No, okay, Peter, that's, that's fair enough. I don't want to put you under any more undue pressure. Uh, so, Peter, I know I've taken up a fair amount of your time here, perhaps, uh, and so I'm extremely appreciative for you coming on and talking to us. Um, and, uh, well, well I'll, I'll, end, I'll end it there. But um, once again, I wish you guys, the AFD, I wish you guys all the best in the polls and in the courts. And uh, I, I really hope that maybe Germany can turn a corner. Yes, same for you. Um... All the best and also to the Lotus Eaters channel and to your listeners. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you.